My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young man, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house, at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She told of him. She took hold of him and kissed him, with a, and with a brazen face she said, Today I fulfilled my vows, and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed and colored linens from, with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money, and he will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Father God, we pray that you would reveal to us today what it is you desire for us to learn from your word. Pray this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. This was a hard sermon to write this week. I'd like to start by telling you about the time that I made the wrong choice. You see, I was living in this perfect place. It was beautiful. There was all the wildlife I could ever want, all the companionship and company that I could ask for. I had responsibilities, but they were good responsibilities, you know, the, the kind I was glad to fulfill. Now, I'd been told that there was only one rule. I was supposed to do what God commanded. You see, he'd put these two trees in the middle of our garden, and one was the tree of life, and one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as long as we ate of the tree of life, we would live forever. God would teach us and lead us to become the rulers he had created us to be. I came and I ate from that tree every single day. And that means that every day I also saw that other tree. Adam had told me that God commanded us not to eat from the tree of knowledge. You see, God was our creator. He was our sustainer. He was our father. But he was also our teacher. And we trusted him. 
And so we, we don't need to eat from the tree of knowledge because God tells us that learning from him is best. And eating the fruit that would give us knowledge quickly is bad. In fact, Adam told me that God said it would cut us off from the tree of life. And this was sad because the fruit of that tree looked very, very good. But I was glad to trust the God who made me and to lean on him rather than my own understanding. And then one day, One day while I was walking to the tree of life, there was a snake, and he spoke to me. Now, I wasn't surprised. You see, we we often spoke to animals. We were called to rule over them, after all. But this animal told me something strange. It said that if I ate the fruit of knowledge, I wouldn't die. Instead, I would be like God. I wouldn't have to lean on him or trust in him anymore because I'd be able to lean on my own understanding. And so I didn't go to the tree of life that day. I went instead to the tree of knowledge. And the forbidden fruit didn't look any different than the fruit of the other trees in the garden. It didn't look rotten or like it would kill me. In fact, now that I was close, it looked really, really good. And so I ate it. That's my story. Now you might be surprised to hear that I was present in that story, but I was, I still am, and so are you. All of us live out the story of the garden, and all of us are Eve. Eve's story, in so many ways, is our story. She heard the commands of God from Adam, then from the Lord himself, and then she had to choose, would she trust in God or trust in herself? And the temptation got the better of her. Temptation is something that all of us live with. And it's interesting. All of us are gifted in different ways, as we saw earlier. We're made differently. And that means that all of us have different weak points. We have different temptations. For some, it's just not hard to always tell the truth. For others, it feels almost impossible. For some, it isn't hard to look away from an inappropriate image. And for others, it doesn't even feel like an option. For some, seeing each person through God's eyes comes naturally. For others, judgment and criticism cloud nearly all of our relationships. The story we read today illustrates temptation in a very vivid way. Solomon, he understood temptation, and so he writes about it from personal experience, and we'd be wise to pay attention. And while the specific sin isn't a universal struggle for all of us, I believe that the process of temptation rings true for each of us. This is a young man who had no sense. For the purposes of this story, that young man is all of us. And he goes walking in the wrong area of town. Now, as a note... If the temptation that you struggle with, that you succumb to over and over again, has a trigger, and you can remove that trigger, do it. Get rid of it. It doesn't matter if that means someone will become aware that this was a trigger for you. Just cut it out. If it's an object or a relationship to a person you're not covenanted to, or a TV show, or whatever, 
just cut the trigger out of your life. If your computer causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. Whatever it is, get rid of it. It will always be better for the young man to avoid her corner than to hope he can resist her when she approaches. But the young man wanders near her home, and she approaches him, and the trap is sprung. And the trap of temptation is very, very difficult to avoid. Here's how it works, at least in this story. The temptation begins with a shock. For us, the first time we're presented with something, and that might be whatever sin or struggle comes to mind as I'm talking about this. Maybe the first time was a long time ago. But temptation always starts there. It starts with the surprise. The thing gets your attention, and you find yourself wanting the fruit you know you shouldn't have. This happens in the story in verse 13. The woman comes up, she takes hold of the young man and kisses him. And that's how it begins. We're presented with the temptation. And if it's one of the sins we struggle with most, it's usually only a matter of time. Next comes the excuse. In verse 14, and with a brazen face, she said, Today I fulfilled my vows, and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. In other words, this is a special occasion. It's okay this time because it's a special occasion. Or perhaps the excuse that comes most often to you is different. Maybe it's, it's just a small thing, right? I know other people that struggle this way too, so it's not a big deal. Or, or I know people who struggle worse than I do. Or... Some part of this is, is, could be seen as good, and so I pretend that my whole purpose is the good and ignore the rest. The next part is the flattery. In verse 15, she says, So I came out to meet you, I looked for you, and I found you. You're the only one who knows the gossip. If you don't tell it, then nobody's going to know. It's it's kind of your responsibility to share, right? Or, or maybe this thing is bad for other people, but not for me. Other people can't handle this, but, but, but I can. It's okay for me. Or I've been cheated out of this thing my whole life, so it's my turn. Or this affection I'm supposed to get from someone else, I'm not. And so I, I find it wherever I can. It's not my fault. All of these things are, are flattering ourselves into believing that the universe revolves around us, even though we know fully well that it doesn't. Verses 16 through 18 show that the next part of the trap is the desire that springs up from within us. She says, I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt, perfumed it with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon, Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves. If it didn't look good, it wouldn't be tempting. If Eve had picked the fruit and it was rotten, she wouldn't have wanted to eat it. But we're Eve. We've already listened to the snake. We're holding the fruit, and my goodness, it looks wonderful. Everyone here can relate to this part of the story. 
And then the last piece, the promise of a secret. She says, my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. In other words, I can get away with this. Either because it's a secret from others, no one's going to know, or because I've worked really, really hard and kept it a secret from myself. You might be unsure of how a person could have a secret from themselves, but, but I want to ask you, if you're unaware of what your sin struggle is, if you look for it internally and you just, you just cannot come up with where you struggle, why do you think that is? Or if there are people around you that, that see something and say something to you and you dismiss it, I don't struggle in that way but you hear it over and over again from those that love and care about you. We are very, very good at hiding things from ourselves. I've, I've been in conversation with a person shaking from rage, shaking from rage, who told me, and I believe they believed it, that they weren't even angry. We are capable of great self-deception. The promise of the secret is the last step in the trap of temptation. When we feel like we're not going to get consequences, then we fall in. Or maybe we, we convince ourselves that what we're struggling with is a, kind of like a polite sin. It's a sin that's okay, and we, we really don't need to worry about it. You might wonder what an example of that would be. We're in the third phase of our eating and doing. And we're encouraging you to have one another over for families to be inviting families or individuals from Calvary into your homes and to, to host them. And I, hear, I, believe, I know that's going very well. I know many of you are doing that. But, but maybe someone's sitting here thinking, but you know what? I really don't like being hospitable. I don't enjoy it. I have a, I have a place for it. I, I have the ability to... But it's not one of my gifts. You know, I filled out a spiritual gifts inventory and hospitality just wasn't there. So I'm, I'm out, of the, out of the woods, right? But we're actually called to this. Christians are called to hospitality. We're called to that kind of love. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody has to be equally hospitable. For those who are energized and love it, it's going to be a more frequent thing. But if, if you... If you Tell yourself an untruth to believe that this is not the responsibility of you. It's the responsibility of everyone else. That's a, a polite sin, you could say. Or, or maybe it's, I'm going to invite this family and this family and this person and this person, but never them. You know who I'm talking about, right? That person or that family. And maybe they have no idea that you feel this way, but something happened. Maybe it was six months ago. Maybe it was 25 years ago, but never them. And we just kind of nurse hostility. But nobody sees it, so it's not, it's not a bad thing, right? Hear me. We never get away with it. There are always consequences for sin. We are always in the process of being formed and being changed. And when we allowed a stronghold into our life, into our heart, we create parts of ourselves that we do not want to turn over to Jesus. 
Spiritual formation, transformation, it works in both directions. The Holy Spirit empowering us to, to, to follow after God and to be made more and more into the likeness of Jesus or that infection of sin in our heart, getting out of control and us allowing ourselves to be formed less and less into the likeness of Jesus. It works in both directions. But the consequences are even bigger than that. One crazy thing about Eve's story, about our story, is that it doesn't end with her. In Genesis 3, we're told that she gives some of the fruit to Adam, who was with her. Now, I believe that Adam had a special calling of leadership there, and I believe the fact that he was present while she was speaking to, to the devil and not saying anything, that he doesn't interact or intervene is wrong. And by the way, when we see a brother or sister in Christ in the midst of sin and we say or do nothing, we're guilty. But after Eve eats the fruit, she gives it to Adam. You see, your holiness, it's not just about you. When you allow sin to gain a foothold in your life, you make a mess, and that mess will affect the people around you. And so this is our existence, stuck in the garden looking at two trees. And you and I, we're already infected with sin, and we know that God demands purity, that sin cuts us off from our relationship with him, and this chasm is made between he and us. And this infection of sin means that we're never going to be able to resist the tree of knowledge for very long. We will always eventually choose wrong. So what possible hope could there be? We have uh, Hebrews 2, 14 through 18, I want us to look at. I would encourage you, if you're someone who circles or underlines in your Bible, please take a minute and open up to Hebrews chapter 2, because these verses are powerful. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, meaning Jesus, too shared in their humanity, so that by, the, by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. In other words, Jesus, in becoming human and dying as a sacrifice for our sin, breaks the hold of sin and death over us. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, for surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, that's you and I. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. In other words, Jesus being made fully human experience temptation in the way that you and I experience temptation. The difference is he never succumbed. He remained a perfect sacrifice. But temptation is not something that God cannot understand. It's not something that our Lord and Savior never experienced. In that moment when your heart is caught up and you're struggling internally and you know you should be able to just not do the thing, but you also see 
coming. That you're going to struggle. That's not something he's unfamiliar with. He experienced it too. But in becoming fully human, he was able to, through his death, provide a way for our sins to be covered over. And then three days later, through his resurrection, death is overcome and a way for forgiveness and life is made for all of us if we accept him as Lord and Savior. So we sit before these two trees infected with sin, struggling to choose the tree of life and avoid the tempting fruit from the forbidden tree. But we're not alone and we're not hopeless. We're forgiven. And every mistake we will ever make has already been forgiven at the cross. And when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, not only are we forgiven, when we repent, not only are we adopted into his family, we receive his Holy Spirit who is with us, who strengthens and encourages us, sometimes drags us kicking and screaming toward the right choice. And of course, we still make mistakes. If any of us are under the impression that if we still sin, that means we don't have the Holy Spirit, none of us would have the Holy Spirit because all of us struggle and fall and sin. But through Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, hope is present for all of us. That is amazing. So where does that leave us, though? We're still in the garden. We're looking at two trees. And we have to ask ourselves a question. You need to ask yourself, do you believe it? We talked about the, the way that we describe the fear of the Lord is this way for us today. Jesus is real. Do you believe it? If the answer is no, well, I want you to know that I'm glad you're here, and I'd encourage you to come and to talk to me about it. There was a time in my life that my answer was no, too, and I'd love to share with you why I think you might want to see that differently. Do you believe that Jesus is real? If the answer is maybe, then I want to challenge you to jump in. If you sit here today undecided, I challenge you to look inside and you'll see that there's something that keeps you from being the way that you want to be. Some force internal in you pulls you down the path that you don't want to go over and over and over again. We call that sin. If you're struggling, if you're not sure, if you believe it's true, I want to challenge you to jump in, to act as though Jesus is real, and see what happens. To look around at the community here, this blessed community that we are part of, and ask if that's something that happens outside of the church, because it doesn't. There's something special to the community of God's people here. Do you believe Jesus is real? If the answer is yes, then you know you have to stop flirting with poison. If he's real, then you can trust him. And you can trust him more than you can trust yourself. One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. 
trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do you know it? How does it go? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will set your path straight. Yeah. It's an incredible verse. In other words, this looks good. He tells me it's wrong. Who do I trust? But it's not just that simple. Because like I said, we're infected. We're pulled towards a thing we know we ought not do. So we go to him. We talked about this last week, about what to do. We start with repenting. We commit to doing the opposite of the sin that we're struggling with. We confess. We find a community to be part of, to be open with. All of those are important. We get help. All of those are important. But Proverbs 7 gives us some some ideas here too. The end of our passage today. Verses 25 to 27 say this. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Don't let your heart turn to her ways. In other words, you need to guard your mind and your heart. Holy habits, a time of accountability, practice time of confession, those are important pieces that help us to refrain, to avoid the places where temptation is hardest. But guarding your mind and your heart is never going to succeed if it's solitary. One of the exciting things that's happening at Calvary soon is we're launching small groups the week after the barbecue in August. And I want to encourage you, when we, when we bring out the sign-up sheets, to really, really ask if you can find the time to be part of one. Because I think that if you can, you're going to find something really special develop a community of people that you're able to really connect with, to be open and vulnerable to, to share in the struggles that you're going through, to be encouraged in the midst of them, to dive deep together into what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ. I think that will be amazing. I want to encourage you to be part of that. The next thing the author in Proverbs says is to not stray into her paths. In other words, keep away. If you know there's a place where temptation is strong, don't go there. Pluck it out and throw it away. And then, many are the victims she's brought down, her slain or a mighty throng. If you ask yourself, what's the end result of this sin? Because sin doesn't, doesn't usually stay, it builds. Where is this going? What's going to happen? Am I going to become a person who just judges and criticizes and thinks badly of people if I keep indulging this behavior? Am I going to become a person no one can trust if I keep sharing secrets that aren't mine to share? Am I going to become a person who looks at people as objects if I just keep looking at images I know I ought not look at? Am I going to become a person who cannot tell the truth or be counted on when times are hard if I just allow myself to lie over and over again? Am I going to become a person whose relationships are all under strain because I'm unable to reconcile if I harbor anger in my heart and run from forgiveness? What's the end result of the sin? And if that's what you need for the Spirit to give you the strength to turn away, then hold it tight in your mind. 
because we never get away with it. There are always consequences. It's an odd thing to preach two sermons on a row in a row on sin from the book of Proverbs. But righteousness is such a clear calling through the book, and the trap of temptation is talked about again and again and again. And it's not something we speak about often enough. And so I just want to issue this here at the end of the message today. If you're stuck, if as we're talking you're aware that something is going on, it's unacceptable, and you want to find freedom, please don't hide. Tell someone. And if you need someone to tell, you can come and speak to me, speak to Pastor Ben, to one of our deacons. You can share with us. You're not going to experience judgment. We're not going to turn away from you. You're not going to be cut off. But we'll listen, and if we can, we'll help. And I think just having light shed on the secret, you'll find a remarkable freedom in that. And I want to encourage you as well that there is no struggle, no stronghold, no thing that pulls on your heart that is more powerful than the spirit which is in you. So don't give up hope. Because those who have the Holy Spirit have a reason to always hope. As we're led into eternal life with our Lord and Savior. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you today imperfect. And you know that. Lord, you know the very best of us, and you know our very worst, too. And Lord, you love us, despite it. Lord, you look on us, see us through and through, and rejoice over us with singing. Your love is unbelievable. It's remarkable, it's overwhelming, and we praise you for it today. And we ask for each and every one of us that you would give us the strength to look inward, to be honest about our struggles, and to not just sit with them. But Lord, to turn them over to you and be changed through that process. And Lord, we pray also for each of us that if we are the person someone chooses to share with, that you would give us the wisdom to make sure that they know they are loved, to make sure that they know that they are forgiven by you, and to point them always back to your Son. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.